We'll be there to cheer on our American athletes. Vice President Pence at the Olympics with tough talk for North Korea. Plus another shutdown showdown in Congress and more political fallout on the issue of illegal immigration. What Indiana politicians and even the president are saying about a Colts player's death. Then ahead of this year's midterms, we sit down with Senate candidate Mike Braun and congressional candidate Liz Watson and the chaos on city county council now leading to a lawsuit. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Another shutdown in Congress this past week. The government briefly shutting down again, just technically, though. It was only hours later, both the House and Senate agreed to a new bipartisan spending bill. But still no deal on the Dreamers with the deadline fast approaching amidst more controversy over staffing issues at the White House. We'll talk more about that later. Meantime, this weekend, Vice President Pence was at the Winter Olympics in South Korea, but much of his message overseas was aimed at nearby North Korea instead. We'll be there to cheer on our American athletes, but we'll also be there to stand with our allies and remind the world that North Korea is the most tyrannical and oppressive regime on the planet. Vice President Pence meeting with world leaders overseas. He also attended the opening ceremonies on Friday. And look at this video you're about to see here. That's Kim Jong-un's sister in the VIP box sitting just feet away from the vice president. Friday's opening ceremony, apparently no words exchanged between the two. Pence even changed seats to be further away. And there are some American athletes not happy about Pence's presence at the Olympics. Figure skater Adam Rabon reportedly turned down a meeting with Pence. He is an openly gay figure skater. He criticized Pence's stance on gay rights. Pence's office claims they did not reach out to Rippon for a meeting. Pence tweeting back saying the vice president supports all the U.S. athletes. Well, from the Olympics to the Colts, a lot of news this week, and not just about the coaching search. There was also the tragic news of a player's death that brought strong reaction from the world of politics. Edwin Jackson's visitation is today. He'll be laid to rest tomorrow. The man who caused that crash is an undocumented immigrant, and that has caused a lot of political debate in the wake of Jackson's death from the president himself and also from Indiana Congressman Todd Rakita, who we spoke with this past week. Tanae Howard has more. As soon as his name was released, before ever knowing his status, people on social media quickly assumed Manuel Orego Savala was an illegal immigrant. Once that was confirmed, lawmakers like Todd Rokita of Indiana took to Twitter to express what he feels are the dangers of illegal immigrants and the need to build a border wall. We talked to the congressman via phone. You know, the loss of life at the hands of illegal immigrant criminals, who this person was, uh, should make all Hoosiers you know, sad and, and ultimately angry. Immigration attorney Claire Corrado says that's a dangerous path to go down. I was sad to see that, you know, the, the immigration status of the suspect became part of the news story. It's not an immigration story. It's a criminal story. It's a police investigation story. It's a drunk driving story. With immigration reform being a hot topic on Capitol Hill, Corrado says this story could shape the debate. And the danger of a story like this being taken in the immigration direction is potentially basing, you know, the future impact on millions of undocumented people on the actions of just a couple of people. You can't have a secure nation. You can't have a sovereign nation unless you're able to control uh, who comes in and out. And obviously we should have kept this guy out. Now, on the other side of the aisle, Congressman Andre Carson said this week Hoosiers are grieving. This would be a tragedy no matter who caused the accident. 
We shouldn't use a tragedy like this to make a political point. One of Rokita's GOP Senate opponents, Luke Messer, had a more muted reaction initially. Then after the president's tweets, Messer said, I echo President Trump's concern that it's long past time to deal with illegal immigration in this country. Clearly, the suspect should not have been in this country. Senator Joe Donnelly said the same in that regard, saying the suspect should not have been allowed back into this country and we need to fix our broken immigration system. Donnelly calling for bipartisan immigration legislation. Of course, Donnelly, Messer, Rokita, all part of the race for U.S. Senate. Donnelly met with former VP Joe Biden here in Indy Friday for a fundraiser. All the Senate candidates recently bringing signatures to the Secretary of State's office to officially file for the race. Recently, I spoke with former state rep Mike Braun, who says he could be the wild card in this race for Senate. Now he's taking on his rivals and putting a lot of his own money into the campaign. How do you respond to those who claim you're trying to buy a seat in the Senate? Well, they'd have to know why nobody does this, and that's because if you don't commit to doing that significantly up front, the folks that do it for a living, like Rokita and Messer, they got all their money in a way that I'd rather do it my way. They got it from PACs and lobbyists and political insiders. If you look at their reports, it's the kind of people that pulled the puppet strings. Mine came from my own hard earnings and an amazing amount from just individuals across the state, friends, family, other small business owners, people that are fed up with maybe all the advantages that accrue to guys like Todd Rokita and Luke Messer. And, it, and I've really knocked it out of the park, in my opinion, when it comes to fundraising from others and that I've done almost double what the experts said you'd be able to do because when you're not getting any of the inside money or the money from PACs and lobbyists, I didn't want it anyway, I've been real pleased. So, The Rokita campaign uh, sent a couple of people down to your filing yeah. dressed as Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton trying to highlight the fact that you have voted in the past in Democratic primaries, those reports right. that came out a few weeks back. Is that an issue that's going to hurt you in this Republican primary? I think... Todd Rokita, uh, it was his communications director and two of his staff there, and got into the state house with masks on. What do you think the public's going to think of a stunt like that? To me, it's a sign of desperation. And I think why that occurred is because when he leaked out his own poll, which showed him in, I think, 24, me maybe at 10, and Luke Messer at 9, I'm sure he was wanting to see how hard show people how hard he's pummeled Luke Messer. I rose by almost a thousand percent and what is not known by that poll is he actually was flat to off from when he started four to five months ago. So that's a typical thing I think you get out of somebody that is will do anything or say anything to stay in office and then is desperate because he knows that I'm the one that's going to end up catching him and surpassing him. And it's another uh, infantile kind of clown act. And I had my wife and my son and my granddaughter. And, uh, you know, he pulls a stunt like that and got called on the carpet by the uh, folks at the State House for being unprofessional. Some have said they thought it was I inappropriate. Uh, I think it would be. But as to this issue of of the votes and those votes in Democratic primaries. You've said it was to vote for local candidates yeah. in your area. Exactly. First of all, I'm a, I've always been a Republican. I am more inherently conservative than either my two opponents. By the way, I've lived conservatism as a business person 
and done it in the trenches of building a business. And in our county, there was never a contested Democratic or Republican race on the local level. So the only way in most of southern Indiana that you could weigh in to elections of your local officials was to pull a ballot where those folks ran. And it had nothing to do. I was never a Democrat. Okay, we've got more of that interview on our website. Up next, we're halfway through this year's legislative session, and we're hearing from leaders on both sides of the aisle after the break, one of them comparing this session to Gilligan's Island. We'll explain, plus chaos on city county council, now leading to a lawsuit. Stick around, we'll be right back. All right, we're here now with our panel, UND professor Dr. Laura Wilson, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, and former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. Yet another brief shutdown, still no deal on immigration, all this political reaction to the tragic crash here in Indy. So many headlines, so many controversies nationally and locally. You have this Rob Porter situation the vice president at the Olympics. What, what stood out to you most this week? Still chaos, and uh, we were talking, Laura and I were talking about this, is um, you know that the, the budget deal that isn't really a budget deal. We've kicked the can once more uh, down the road on immigration. Um, you've got Rand Paul out there kind of calling uh, his fellow Republicans to the mat as non-conservatives, and I think it was just another week of chaos. Vice President Pence said in an interview from the Olympics that he will talk with the president directly, give him his counsel when he comes back about this whole White House situation, this Rob Porter controversy. Uh, pretty interesting, the dynamics, the president, the vice president, everything we've seen in, in South Korea so far from the VP. Well, I think you, you're right. And I think Pence is one of the few people who has some sense of, of stability in the administration. I think the other one is General Mattis. Who, and people had that, said that about Chief of Staff Kelly at first, yeah, General Kelly. Yeah. Some people kind of walking back that. Kelly may be getting now. a little bit of a bad rap here. We'll, we'll see how things play yeah. out. But, um, but the larger picture, we've got the clown car in Washington. We have the clown car in Indianapolis. It's like, who's going for the wilder ride? You and, know? and we will talk much more about that council situation coming up later. Uh, Laura, so many headlines uh, this week. There are. And I, I have to go with Jennifer. In terms of the budget, I feel like when we prioritize politics over policies, that's what we get. And this felt like the biggest non-win we could have had where, you know, yeah, we have an increase in domestic spending, we have an increase in money for the Pentagon, but we have increase in spending entirely. And the things Democrats wanted in terms of immigration, that didn't happen. The things Republicans wanted in terms yeah. of deficit cutting, that didn't happen. I, I, it's a clown car, to say the least. It might even be like a clown ambulance or a, a larger <laughs> oh, it's vehicle. Got a limo, like it's yeah, got a it's, it's bigger than just a seating eight people kind of thing. To your point on immigration, as we mentioned, Indianapolis really was in the spotlight, uh, sadly, because of Colts player Edwin Jackson's death. He and his Uber driver both killed uh, by an undocumented immigrant who, was, uh, who caused that crash. Police say he was under the influence of alcohol. Uh, because of his immigration status, a lot of political reaction uh, because of the debate over illegal immigration. A couple of Indy Star columnists weighing in, Suzette Hackney said, their untimely loss of life should not be politicized, but that's exactly what happened. Sports columnist Greg Doyle saying, Edwin Jackson is not a political rallying cry, not a cause, not a talking point, not anything, uh, but one of the sweetest, kindest players in the Colts locker room, Doyle said, and he's gone. A tragic reminder of what happens 
when people make a terrible decision. What do you make of the reaction from this on the left and the right? Well, obviously a tragic situation. No one has said it's not. But you have to ask yourself, first of all, you knew the minute that it came out that this was an undocumented person who'd been deported twice, that this was going to be the conversation. You were just waiting for President Trump's tweet and waiting for the political diatribe to start. And you have to ask, like, that is obviously overshadowing the situation. If the person who had committed this crime did not happen to be undocumented, would we be having this conversation or would we just be having a conversation about the tragedy of drinking and driving? We also showed earlier some of the reaction from the Senate candidates, uh, Todd Rokita, the first uh, to come out and make a statement on this issue this past week. Well, but you have to also look and see that the, the politicization of it actually started nationally. It started with Trump and that Michelle Malkin lady, whoever she, whoever she, whoever she represents. And then it, it kind of filtered back into Indiana. So my question is, would Rokita have made it so political if Trump had not made it political? Rokita actually tweeted about it first. It did was, he, it was he President Trump, Trump, the Trump next did day. it first. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm, I'm wrong then. But I, I think it's a, it's a mistake, but it's human nature, as you said, to try to politicize something like this. And uh, I don't think anybody should be rewarded for it. Laura? Yeah, it doesn't bring anything new to what we didn't already know. Immigration's a problem in our country. Drunk driving's a problem in our country. This is just one example of it, but I don't think we can say, like, this is the example of why everything's wrong. And certainly an explosive uh, story this past week, to say the least. Uh, speaking of the Senate candidates, speaking of campaign season, we're starting to see uh, some more campaign ads on air and online. We're checking out a, a couple of those here today. He's a great dad and why he'll be a great senator, too. Those are two of Luke Messer's kids in his new digital campaign ad. Uh, always an interesting concept when you see a, a candidate's family. We have seen that in the past. Evan Bai comes to mind. Uh, Jennifer, what did you make of this one? As a mom, it always makes me sad to see kids brought into a campaign, whether willingly or unwillingly. Um, this was an awful ad. Uh, no, no two ways about it. And I feel really bad. He's trying so, so hard to prove his Hoosier credentials that I, I think that somewhere along the line, he lost uh, the fact that it's a terrible ad. Do these ad humanize candidates, though, in a way? Sometimes? Well, I, I, I tend not to judge candidates for doing this. When I was in office, I never put my my kids and any brochure ad, anything, I just didn't think it was right. I think that they had a right to a separate life. It was hard enough living with me at home. <laughs> so um, so I, I, I tend not to judge Messer, but what this does do is it brings his children, who I'm sure are good kids, into the public limelight and makes them targets. If there is, if they have done something wrong or whatever, then they become legitimate targets now. Well, and you were saying you do like to see this. I was going to say, I, I think it's endearing, I think candidate. it's cute, but it does bring up kind of this hypocrisy that even I have to grapple with and understand is that I don't think it's fair to attack children. And at the same right. time, if you're bringing them into campaign ads, I, is that a double standard? You know, what's the line in terms of bringing candidates in and their children? So we, at least they weren't wearing uh, Ball State and Indiana State shirts. <laughs> the Bi Kids. Yeah, all right, we've seen that concept before, as we were saying. We've never seen an ad quite like this before. And I'm running for U.S. Congress against the vice president's brother. What he doesn't know is that the Lamb family has been close to the White House for over a century. President Woodrow Wilson had Lambs working for him in 1918 as a cost-cutting measure to keep the White House lawn looking its best. I'm Jonathan Lamb, and I approve this message. Yep, that's Jonathan Lamb's new TV ad, which aired during the Super Bowl. By the way, right after the halftime show, Lamb is also challenging Greg Pence to a debate. But guys, this ad, a lot of reaction on Twitter. I want to get your thoughts. Super Bowl ads are, I mean, they're pretty expensive. He definitely spent a lot of money. Uh, it was an epically bad <laughs> advertisement. Uh, there you go. Do I want to bet for, uh, for doing that on air? Um, 
I don't think he got much out of this. Is uh, any attention good attention? It is, quite frankly. It reminds me We're of talking it's, about it's, it here. He's somewhat yeah. desperate. He's a long shot candidate yeah. against a guy with instant name ID. I saw him, met him last night at the NRA dinner in Shelbyville. Not a bad kid, I'm sure. Spent almost a half a million dollars. Spending of a lot of his own money. Of his yeah. own money. Wow. Yeah. But Pence is going to win this one. All right, we got to move on, get to some other topics. Uh, this week, perhaps a good sign from Amazon as Indianapolis looks to become home of the company's second headquarters. Amazon thanking Governor Holcomb for his recent visit to the Fulfillment Center in Whitestown. The governor was there to learn more about Amazon's workforce development program. The company's public policy Twitter account retweeted his post thanking him for his leadership on workforce development issues. And in a separate tweet, Amazon said it, quote, loves doing business in the Hoosier State. So we'll see. Indy, one of 20 cities selected by Amazon as a potential option for its second headquarters. Hey, at the Statehouse, we're halfway through this year's legislative session, and this week we're hearing from leaders on both sides of the aisle. This session's been somewhat like a uh, big yawn followed by a loud snore, if you will. Uh, it, uh, it almost seems like in the House of Representatives, uh, this first half is uh, the legislature's been stuck in a Gilligan's Island episode. We've got all the tools we need. We've got the technology and the materials we need uh, to uh, move our state forward. Some of the, the headline issues that we've done the last couple of years aren't there, but these are important, practical, on the ground, uh, getting people to treatment issues. Speaker Bosma there saying he still wants to get some more attention on the opioid crisis. Of course, there's been controversy over hate crime legislation not moving through. you got Sunday sales, the CBD oil issue. Otherwise, perhaps uh, not much will remember from this first half of the session, other than perhaps uh, Leader Gooden calling it Gilligan's Island. But uh, we'll see where we go here in the second half. Hey, we also have to talk about the situation on City County Council. Embattled President Stephen Clay now being sued. The lawsuit claims he violated state law and municipal code by firing the council clerk and council attorney. Clay says he acted within the rules. The lawsuit asks for the clerk and attorney's reinstatement. Clay has also been expelled from the Democratic caucus. The council is set to take another vote on his presidency February 19th. What a controversial tenure it has been in just a few short weeks. And quickly, I want to ask you guys, how will this end? OMG, I have no idea, but I, I'm going to pop some popcorn and watch it. <laughs> is he going to remain president much oh, longer? Oh, no, there's think? no way. But you have to remember, he is just a symbol. This is a proxy war between Maggie Lewis and other forces within the Democratic Party to whom she will not bow down, quite frankly. And so um, I, uh, you know, there's no leadership in the Democratic Party right now at the local level. Who would have ever thought we'd be wishing for the return of Ed Tracy? But we should. All right. We've got to wrap it up right there. Up next, we're talking with one of the Democrats hoping to unseat Indiana Congressman Trey Hollingsworth. Coming up, our interview with candidate Liz Watson right after the break. As we gear up for the midterms, a couple of Democrats have been making some noise in Indiana's 9th Congressional District as they look to take on incumbent Republican Trey Hollingsworth. Liz Watson and Dan Cannon leading the way so far in terms of fundraising among the Democrats. Watson has actually outraised Hollingsworth in each of the last two fundraising cycles, and she spoke on the record this week with our Matt Smith. Well, thank you so much for having yeah. me. You know, when I look around at uh, folks in southern Indiana who are really... Um, you know, hardworking people who are struggling just to get by. It seems really wrong to me that we have a Congress that is trying to take away health insurance, uh, that's trying to uh, take away protections for clean air and clean water, that hasn't, you know, raised the pay of the lowest paid Hoosiers for a very long time. And of course, those Hoosiers earn 725 an hour, which leaves anybody living in poverty, you know. And we have a Congress that isn't doing anything about these issues and is actually doing everything in their power to make things worse for us instead of better. And specifically, you know, our representative, Trey Hollingsworth, um, 
every single vote he's taken has been a vote uh, that has set us back instead of moved us forward. And so I'm sick and tired of it. And I think we can do so much better. I think we deserve real representation in our district and we deserve to have a say in the decisions that are being made about us in Washington. But right now we just don't have that. You've worked with and tied yourselves to Senator Bernie Sanders, Senator Elizabeth Warren, just to name two of them. You mentioned them on your campaign website. Uh, are you too liberal for this district here in Indiana? So when I'm out across the district, what I hear is that, you know, people know what's going on. They know that we have an economy that's been rigged against them. And they know that right now Washington's been taken over by people who are really all about corporate greed. So, you know, they see it uh, when Trey Hollingsworth gets behind a bill to make it easier for payday lenders uh, to, you know, mm -hmm. pursue these predatory loans and to have no protections for consumers. You know, they see that. They see him getting on the side of banks instead of on the side of real people. Um, and, and they are really mad about it and they really want to change. To your critics who will say you, you moved back to Indiana from Washington, D.C. for your own political gain, you will tell them? Look, I have been in the fight for Hoosiers uh, for my whole life and you can, you know, look at my record. I'm somebody who has represented working people on the job. I have also written a lot of legislation that would make a big difference for people in southern Indiana. I have been fighting for us and I fought for us in Washington and you know what? We need people like me, fifth generation Hoosiers who will stand up for us and who will fight for what's right. I'm taking on the Washington establishment. I've seen how they do things and it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting that instead of doing the right thing for Hoosiers, instead of addressing the fact that, you know, our productivity has increased by more than 75% in my lifetime alone, right? Um, but most working people haven't seen a raise. Instead of doing something about that, you know, they're giving away tax breaks to the wealthiest corporations and the 1% that are going to set regular people back for a long time. All right, more of that interview on our website. And we're back with this week's Winners and Losers right after this. Time for this week's Winners and Losers. Laura, you're up first. Okay, for my winners, that's all I have. Pelosi and Paul for speaking and standing about what they believe. Especially shout out to Nancy Pelosi, 77, four-inch heels, eight hours. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. <laughs> my winner has to be Rand Paul. He pointed out that a deficit is a deficit, whether it's Republican or Democrat. My loser has to be Kate Sweeney Bell, the local uh, Democratic Party. She's overseeing what I would nicely call a poop show of a party right now. <laughs> that was so kind of you, Mike. I agree with Laura on Nancy Pelosi. And I will say that uh, local Democrats, we organized ourselves this weekend, so hopefully we'll be more organized going forward. All right, there you go. Going forward, catch us every week right here, Sunday in Focus. We'll see you next week.